Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Via the Grill Economist, we have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction at this point. It is Velas. V for Velas is here. The dark raven of the deep state is going to break down the latest information from the deep nether regions of what we know as the government and all the other accoutrements uh, uh, that goes along with that. And uh, so we're looking forward to it. Uh, we should be also, we might be, hopefully the, uh, if the connection is good and Homeboy could find some uh, some good internet or, or phone connection, we'll have a, a buddy of mine who's going to be calling in from Ukraine. He's on the ground, boots on the ground, from the front line, so he, he should be calling in for a quick five-minute situation, uh, a sit-rep, uh, so he can give us the heads up of what the hell's going on over there. So that, without further ado, Velas, let's get into it, baby, let's do it. Let's let's do it. And you say nether regions when I come on right after Gus, and that has a whole other meaning. <laughs> yeah, I hope uh, I hope our friend out east, shall we say, can uh, find the appropriate amount of tinfoil and coat hangers to get a signal <laughs> to his cell tower. We'll yeah. see. So about twelve thirty. So if you gotta if you gotta cut me off, uh, just just let me know. So uh, yes, this is a Wednesday show, folks. Yeah, I will also be on Friday this week and next week. I'm working with. Uh, and CJ to see if I can also come on uh, twice next week. So we'll we'll see. Um, a lot going on. We got a lot going on. So from the last show, uh, just a reminder: question everything, vet everything. Um, uh, just as an awareness, I posted on Monday the twenty first on the hashtag Velas in Discord uh, the web links that are used by our friend Patrick Ryan uh, in his research. There are one thousand one hundred and eighty four links in there. Uh, they're categorized by activity, data type, explanations next to each link. It's actually, I know that 1,100 uh, web links sounds like a lot, and it is, but it's very clean. It's very easy to use. Uh, go check that out. Um, if you've ever needed a single site for pretty much anything on everything you could ever want to look up, uh, Patrick has, has put together a, a great set of resources. Um, sidebar commentary. I know we have a bet going on on Discord about who's going to be the next to drop dead. Uh, it seems like everyone involved with Jeff Epstein continues to drop like flies. So uh, place your bets on who's next. Um, the trucker convoy. Hi, CJ. Hey, the, hey. Uh, the uh, trucker convoy here in the United States. Um, just a note of caution, my own opinion. Um, I would stay as far away from that as you can. Uh, I think the yeah. grifters have arrived. Uh, and they will take advantage of anything on the left or the right where they see an opportunity. Uh, that whole thing reeks a bad juju, folks. I, I would stay away from that, especially between now and any sort of arrival in D.C. Don't know who funded it. Don't know who organized it. As I've often said, I know that industry. And, you know, there's an old saying in the trucking industry about if you ever see a tractor trailer rolling down the road with no trailer on it, um, that vehicle's losing money because it's every mile those trucks those trucks run. They need to be earning earning something. So just, just a note of caution. Um, we're going to cover today, and I posted this on Discord, we're going to cover today a bit about crisis actors, and we're going to call out one particular person in the alt space where I've got some serious reservations. Um, 
little a little segue before that. Um, you know, the globalists at this point, in my opinion, they've realized they cannot legally achieve their aims through elected officials or even senior corporate leaders. Well aware of these comments the other day, I've said it as well about uh, our friends there on the WEF and similar uh, talking about how many people they've got sitting on boards of directors and similar, and we certainly know what's going on with BlackRock. But in many respects and in many ways, not all of which are, are publicly known, the, the public is fighting back globally. Um, there's a, a multitude of examples, not the least of which is just the other day, uh, French riot police actually marched with the protesters uh, and did not block them. Um, that's just one of many types of examples like that that's taking place. So historically, for the past 150 years or so, uh, when these types of folks do not get their way through popular elections, their faction in various countries just tends to take over. Uh, we have the Nazis in Germany, the Bolsheviks in Russia after the first elections, after the fall of the Tsar, and a number of other examples. So my take on it is, is they're going to continue to try and find ways to leverage emergencies to accomplish their aims or emergency actions, emergency decrees, medical emergencies, economic emergencies, et cetera. Now, when I wrote up this particular bullet point for today's show, I wrote it up last week. So I didn't know until this Monday that Trudeau and his counterparts were going to want to extend emergency powers in Canada indefinitely, um, which only goes to my point. So in the case of the United States, remember, depending on the nature of the emergency, it enables activation of the continuity of government planning. That's another aspect that's sitting out there in the shadows. Now, COG, or continuity of government planning, that's a topic who is spooky among spooky topics. Uh, Continuity of government makes Area 51 look like a breath mint. So why do I raise this? There are conditions in the continuity of government rules where legally, and I use that term loosely, the military co-command structures out of the Pentagon can assume control. Now, every time the president, any president, I don't care what political party or orientation they are, signs off on the National Defense Appropriations Act, NDAA, which is usually a key part of funding for defense contractors and government agencies and so on. Every time the president signs off on the NDAA each year, it continues to keep that power legal. Now, do I think that's imminent? Well, who the heck knows? I'm just saying, keep an eye on the head fakes, folks. And I know I'm always talking about the head fakes. We had a whole bunch of them on last Friday's show. But the intentional infliction of actions to make the public act uh, angry and some kind of quote-unquote event who quote-unquote might could be used for that purpose. It's not just Canada. Um, again, it's the old Ross Perot joke about when you hear the mullahs of Iran are cutting off the hands of infidels, that's a story on the nightly news. But when you're on the streets of Tehran trying to get your, your employees out of the country, that'll make your hands tingle. Um, the things that are going on in Australia and in Canada and other Commonwealth countries are not isolated to just those under British influence and control. And I'd be equally wondering what's going to happen depending on the Queen's health um, now that Chuck is going to take over instead of William. And I really was hoping it would be William instead of Chuck. So the other thing here before I get into the crisis actors is speaking of globalist designs, uh, there was a great piece in Covert Action Magazine. That's uh, one of the sources I've posted in the resources uh, hashtag as well for last week's show. Um, it dealt with the fact following Ukraine that no matter what happens, U.S. foreign policy is already shifting 
to cause a conflict in the Indo-Pacific to draw in China. So after we move on from Ukraine, we've got we've got that that one coming up. Uh, I posted that article on Saturday, the the nineteenth, on, on the Phyllis page. So crisis actors. Uh, this is a primer. Uh, we can go into more detail at another time. The data is very hard to come by uh, about crisis actors or the, or the topic of crisis actors, and you need to also distinguish very importantly between what are known as political crisis actors versus training crisis actors. There are legitimate training-based crisis actors who are used for simulation events. Uh, I met a number of these people when I was supporting work over at FEMA. They're also used at universities, by Homeland Security, hospitals, public advocacy groups, and the list goes on. And this is everything from tornadoes to earthquakes to, yes, you have some sort of pathogen outbreak or, or violence in a public setting, what have you. And they're to allow people to test out, uh, you know, to use the language, the protocols or the, or the plans they have about how you deal with these various situations. And the, uh, what do you call it, the training crisis actors, those participants are very well schooled on the medical ailment they're supposed to have or a gunshot wound or violent actor behavior or whatever. We have to distinguish between that and the, the, the political piece of it, the psychological operations to influence public opinion. And that's where my focus is today. One of the interesting questions to ask about this topic is how are they recruited? Uh, is it is it one by one? Is it you know leveraging theater organizations or acting organizations? You know how are they trained? Um, one of the big ones that rises to the surface for me because this especially came out in 2020. Who are the law firms who hire them? Um, from my experience with Dirty Tricks and protecting yourself, if you hire a law firm to hire a second law firm to bring in folks like this with a heavy heavy uh, non disclosure agreement, getting through two layers of attorney privilege is is very very hard to do. The other thing is, is keep in mind, you know, I know for some of you, it's like, why would you have a law firm hire another law firm? There's a very good reason. There are many good reasons why. Um, for people that are just up to bad nonsense, uh, they make use of this. Uh, and the Scientology folks uh, just absolutely perfected it. Because if you hire a law firm to hire people for you, this is the old thing about if you're going to use private investigators in a court case, you yourself don't ever hire the private investigators. Because if the judge or the other side asks them a certain kind of question, they have to answer it. But if the law firm hired them, then they're an employee of the law firm, which means they're protected under the attorney-client privilege, which means certain questions they just don't have to answer because it's like that's protected under privilege. So if you have a law firm hire another law firm, now you got privilege out the wazoo. And that's how this is done. So you have a, you have a large law firm used as kind of a shadier law firm to go hire these people, but then it comes down to the mechanics of how is that done. Now, this topic is about as radioactive as anybody questioning a coup for 9-11. So equally, again, we have to be cautious because just raising this topic can cause people to go through to cause, to go through the ceiling. Uh, v, did you want me to hold because Nico's joined? Yep, Nico. What's up, buddy? Nico's here. He is live from Ukraine. Nico, could you hear us? Yes, I am, gentlemen. Nice to talk to you all. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Nico, uh, what is going on? You are in Ukraine. Thank you, God, that you are safe. You're well. What's the situation on the ground, my friend? Well, apparently um, I'm supposed to be worried. All my friends and family back in uh, Western Europe are, are, are like wondering what's going on. But uh, it's pretty chill right now where I'm at in uh, yeah. Western Ukraine. So uh, I don't know. I watched some stuff on uh, YouTube. I watched this channel uh, the day. I think it was Canadian Prepper. And I think it was almost a bit like OTT for me, like this, like mm-hmm. the next 24 hours is going to be really, really bad and buy your, you know, Canadians buy your, you know, wheat and your long-term storage stuff, you know, so 
I think some people are basically um, milking this for prepping right now. So. Um... Oh God, yeah, I think there's a lot of fear porn in the air, without a doubt. Uh, yesterday, you you know when 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 you contacted me, you stated that things are are a little tense. Is that still the situation? There is still things are still things tense. Is it kind of like how oh, it was in 2014? I think well, it's sort of like a, a gradient of like worry. So the, I guess the closer you are to border with um, Russia, it's going to be more scary than. You get over where I am in Transcarpathia. It's like, well, it's just a bit, a bit scary. But you know, people are of course watching the news all the time. Um, we had some. I met some people from Kiev that were visiting, and they were saying like the mixture of people are sort of three categories in Kiev right now. You've got basically a third of people that are just like it's in the back of their minds, but they're just getting on with their life. And there's another third that are um, kind of freaking out. And um, I guess the other third are just um, taking it okay. I guess. Um, I mean, we just, I just hope that Putin has uh, a rationality, you know, and he's, um, been rational about this thing, but if he's, you know, if he's, if he's not rational, then anything's on the table, you know, so. Well, uh, thank God. I think he's the most rational man in the entire group over here <laughs> amongst the politicians. The, the irrationality, I'm, I'm more worried about what the, uh, the, the European poodles, uh, the vassals of, uh, and the, uh, and what the Americans will be doing, working with their proxies in the Ukraine. Uh, I heard that there's some uh, UN blue helmets that are moving in uh, to the front lines, and the UN is working with the Russians in order to mitigate a, uh, a almost like a demilitarized zone kind of setup over there. Have you heard anything like that on your end? Not really. I mean, we're, we're like in between um, Poland, um, Slovakia, Romania, and then Hungary, so... To be honest, life here is pretty much the same. I've been coming here for 14 years as part of Ukraine. I've been to Kiev once. But here, um, people are just behaving as normal. I'm going to the gym, going to the church in the morning. Yeah. Um, there was martial law declared, but we don't know what that's going to look like yet because um, I think they're calling up every every reservist from the age of 18 to 60. Yeah, but I mean, this it. is... But people, people, I mean, I, I, should be, I guess I should be more worried, but more people like my friends back home are more worried than me or so. Interesting, interesting. Um, where exactly in Ukraine are you? Like, how far are you from uh, where all this uh, is going on? Uh, I'm basically as far as you can get away from the action. You know, so if you were to Good. pick a spot that you would, you would, uh, if you, if I was like some cat and I wanted to hide in the corner away from this Russian bear, I, I would hide in this corner. So, <laughs> so you're you're far out. You're from uh, way past uh, Lviv. Uh, yeah, the, the... Uh, yeah. It's it's it's, it's three hours. Three hours yeah. south from from um, from Lviv, so I mean I'm only 50, 50 miles from the border, um, and I don't Good. imagine they'd close the border to um, people with European passport, British citizenship, you know. So fantastic, Nico. Before we let you go, what are the last things you could tell uh, the audience that are listening in as to uh, what you want them to be aware of and what you see? Do you feel that this is just uh, uh, going into some sort of a stalemate? What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm just I'm just gutted really that we've got. Orthodox brothers on on Russia and Ukraine being, in a sense, pitted against each other for for a war we don't want to fight. You know, people in Ukraine are peaceful. You know, I've never really met anybody in Ukraine from my contacts that are shouting "Let's join NATO" and all this stuff. Sure. Um, so, like, and I, I would rather did we just sit back and say, okay, let's just say we won't join NATO for ten years. Um, you know, put, take some pressure off. You know, it seems like common sense to me that. So hopefully, hopefully something diffuses that you know because 
will all lose. Um, look at the Russian stock market today. You've got Gazprom down 10%, share SB Bank um, down 20%. So, like, yeah. Wow. I mean, and if people want to send some aid here, then they can send food, um, medical supplies, um, tents for refugees in case we well, internally displace people. Because that's something we need to get ready for. Yeah. So what's, what's your gut now? telling you, man? Like, what's your gut telling you? You think there's going to be this is going to go past the Donetsk and Lugansk region, and it's going it, to? You think Russia will? You know, they're in for a penny. Might as well be in for a pound. Go all the way in and purge uh, Ukraine from all these uh, globalist factions. What do you think? Well, the, the funny thing is, is like, as you know, I got I got banned from LinkedIn from my anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine mandate thing. Of course. So what's unusual for me is like all these governments that were I was really angry with. They're all coming to Ukraine's support right now. So I'm really confused where I should be in this thing. You, know? <laughs> you should be the opposite of these psychopaths who are coming in for Ukraine, man. <laughs> yeah, like Trando, and I was always blasting the EU commission on LinkedIn. And now the Eurisa, she's like um, really supporting Ukraine. So I'm like, I'm getting thrown about emotionally. And I haven't really, I'm just, I'm just trying to stay close to God, you know, just to, to kind of step back day by day, my friend. That's all I can do. Very well said. So why Nico's... was I jumping in from a hot shower to a cold shower back and forth, you know? <laughs> yeah, just don't catch a cold, man. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Nico, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thank you for giving us the update from on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, as things transpire, we'll, we'll be in touch and like to have you on for a show as well because, you know, you're, you're in the market side of things. You're in the economic side of things. So it's going to be interesting to talk about what's happening over there in Europe with the markets and everything that's been going on. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks very much, um, V. It's nice to talk to you guys. It's a pleasure, my friend. Be safe. Godspeed. Bye. Cheers. All right, that that's Nico, folks. So he's a Scot, isn't he? Yes, he's a, a my my Greek Scottish friend. He's a, wow, what a what a yeah. combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he has haggis with ziki sauce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's the the other half of my ethnicity was like, wait a minute, that's one of ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad, glad he's uh, he's safe and on the good the good side of town. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, and I, I I was taken by many of his comments, not the least of which was was I don't know anybody here who's demanding that we join NATO. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. So, Velas, uh, back to your point. Now that we got the update from uh, Ukraine, sure. go for it, brother. Okay, so um, on the on the crisis sector thing, the, the the thing I want to point out is, is is it's a very hot topic, and it's a very sensitive topic, and it gets people people worked up. And I don't even want to go anywhere near the 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 area of you know did or did not certain school shootings or similar be setups or whatever it might be. Um, but if you if you were to discover something about this topic, I mean, it's it's on par with Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy and UFOs. I mean, if you were to discover something that was a major uh, disclosure in this area, it, it would be a huge dumpster fire, bigger bigger than that. You know, most of the militant organizations out there have FBI informants in them. So we have to be careful with memes or other content that appear to show the same person or persons at similar events. It doesn't mean that it isn't the same person, but. The powers that be have a vested interest in making sure uh, there's a ton of disinformation around these assets. You know, it's the old saying about the truth. The truth is so critical, it has to be protected with bodyguards of lies. So when I'm talking about crises, that also is a fairly open topic as well, because are we talking about street protests? Are we talking about specific people appearing on the news, commenting on certain events? 
or like extras in a movie, just folks milling about in the background during certain situations to make it look like there was a much larger uh, crowd or group of people when an event takes place. And remember again, everybody, what I told you about the protests I used to see in Washington, D.C. I saw it with my own eyes. You've got the same people holding placards for a right-wing issue and then immediately going across the street, changing their clothes a little bit and picking up placards to support a left-wing issue. It's like Bill Hicks, the comedian's joke about, you know, quote, wait, there's one guy holding the strings of both sides. Go back to bed, America. Keep watching cops. So what do we know? Um, these resources are, are leveraged for the left or the right wing of the political spectrum, depending on the event. Uh, we know political activists are often hired in blocks based on what's desired by that. I mean, a block of people, a group of people, depending on their particular demographic and how they're recruited. Um, a lot of this was really exposed in the Northwest in 2020. A lot of this came out. There were too many people photographing um, various exchanges of money, uh, interviews with people later, uh, et cetera. And it's funny about this topic because it kind of reminds me about what I said about the elections uh, review in Arizona, that they had to go so over the top to leverage every tool they had to turn that election the way they did, that it exposed I'm speaking of the of the election in 2020, it exposed so many of their assets and their resources at one time and how long it's been going on. And, and I assure you, there are people out there that didn't want that to, to happen. So one of the groups of people that are leveraged, and, and again, it's a broad brushstroke here, you have people with specific public relations training. And again, I don't want to pick on theater majors, but they're in a line of work that doesn't make them a lot of money normally, unless you become a, a famous Hollywood person or you do theater or stage productions. Um, you know, there's the old joke about a lot of theater majors have to have to finish serving drinks by nine because they have to be on stage by 10. Um, these are a group of people who have the skills and the chops to do this. Uh, then you have a whole other block of folks on the other end of the spectrum that are just habitually underemployed folks who need the check. These are the kinds of folks Gus Demos was talking about during the riots in 2020. These are people that got off the couch because now suddenly they're being paid $1,000 a week um, and then we also know from interviews and other data, if you appear on TV, you get paid a little bit more. If you gave an interview and you looked good and you sounded good, they'll, they'll give you a little bit more. Um, v or CJ, if you would, can you pull up that, that graphic I sent you or that image? Yeah. I could uh, pull this up. What they're going to pull up is one of two folks I want to profile. Yep. Coming right up. The first lady here is Adriana Victoria Munoz. Um, and you may need to, to, what do you call it, increase your resolution, folks, a little bit on that. So <clears throat> is that her real name? Is that the same person? Has somebody done some AI-enabled editing? Who knows? There's a lot of similarity between these four images of, of this, you know, supposedly the same person. What I can tell you is, is the Internet has been scrubbed and scrubbed hard of anything about that person. Um, I literally had to use browsers in other countries to try and dig up legacy data about anything mentioning her and looks very similar in all four of these. It's the uh, same person, man. I'm I'm in that direction, but again, (laughs) trust, but verify. Um, the the thing that also gets my attention is, is like I said, uh, unless you're, you're researching a, a, weather girl down in South America who goes by that name. Um, it's, it's very hard to find anything about this image I'm showing you. 
you've you've you got to you got to dig and you got to dig hard. And it's it's what I was telling you last week about the the uh, VPN I use. You know, it's triple hop. I'm using browsers out of South Africa to bounce through Belgium to try and find stuff. And it's just, you can tell somebody, somebody got out there with a big eraser because there was a whole bunch of people asking who is this person? And then it just drops off the face of the earth. You've got certain people who have pages about this supposed person, but every single video, every single URL link is broken. There's, it's just somebody went out there with an eraser and, and scrubbed all that. The other person is uh, Liana Wen. Now she's a medical doctor from Baltimore and she's mm-hmm. a paid CNN medical expert. Oh yes, I've seen her. Yes. Now here's, here's where it gets a little weird. Mm. During the Boston bombings, she appeared on CNN saying she was on duty in a major Boston hospital while patients were being rushed there for medical care, which my first question is, but you're a practicing physician in Baltimore. What the hell were you doing in Boston that day? I'm not saying necessarily she wasn't in that hospital. But, but why was she there? Because at the time, she lived and was operating in the medical community in Baltimore. Um, she also stated she was very worried about her husband's safety that day. But again, he was living in Baltimore, not in Boston. Now, the weird factor just gets even better. She was head of Planned Parenthood for about a year. Wow. And even Planned Parenthood got rid of her because she was moving people out of the organization and putting friends in senior roles in the organization and even Planned Parenthood had enough of this and, and got her out. She's, she was a former Rhodes scholar. So you know what that means? Oh yeah. She's heavily connected to transhumanism and support for denial of citizens rights until they're vaccinated. She's been on, like I said, she's a CNN medical expert. She's been on the air, a lot of shows talking about almost borderline draconian things to, to crack down on people. But she's also got, um, to, to paraphrase a, a, a line from Good Morning Vietnam, she's got a trainload of crap behind her a mile long of uh, various organizations who are mad at her, charities and others with whom she's she's been involved. But she's definitely a person who's who's for sale. Now, does she fit the, the role of a crisis actor? I don't know. All I can say is that she gave a lengthy, very media savvy interview during the Boston bombings. She was in a place she shouldn't have been or logically would not have been. She made statements that were completely false. And, you know, CNN's doing the interviews, so they're not going to back check anything she said. Now, even better is crisis actors are international, as you might imagine. And I know some of you might be thinking of the movie Wag the Dog, and you'd be right to do so. Um, When it comes to Ukraine, V has mentioned many times about the Azov Battalion, among others. These are various paramilitary groups, militia, mercenaries, call them what you will. Uh, they tap into there are existing anti-Semitic attitudes in Ukraine, just as there are in France and other parts of Europe. There's a long historical reason why that is. And they tap into that to add to their ranks, much like disaffected people in the United States that are pulled into various extremist organizations who many times have FBI agents running them. Yep. Um, now, what's interesting is, per the Gateway Pundit, a key leader of the Azov Battalion, Maxim Yarosh, along with other Azov personnel, we're in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. I've seen the photos. Wow. What are the odds? Wow. Now, what are the odds? Now, when V and others say make statements like, well, the Azov Battalion, I don't know where the hell are these guys get the funding. They seem to be pretty well organized. There's rumors out there. Well, it's more than a rumor. There's somebody who's got a, a pretty good piece they did about 
various uh, oligarchs in Ukraine. You know, I, I hate to go down the normal road. We've got various oligarchs in Ukraine. They've got heavy connections back to Israel, which probably means the Mossad, yada, yada, yada. The Azov is getting support from, dare I say, that part of the world. But then the chin rubbing becomes even more extreme when I start noticing that I've got Azov battalion leaders on the ground helping lead protesters on January 6th because just logistics 101 folks, I got to get you out of Ukraine. I got to move you into the United States. I got to make sure your passport doesn't flag with anybody when you come into the country. This Mm. is, this is me running a tabletop exercise with all of you on today's show. I got to get, I've got to fund you. I've got to feed you. I've got to house and and provide you lodging. I got to get you into the event and out of the event without being accidentally picked up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of effort to bring an Azov battalion leader into Washington, D.C. for what? He had a meeting and he just thought he'd stop by to see what was going on near the White House? Oh, yeah. There, I mean, on a certain level, there was no need to have him here. You've got enough, let's just say, actors involved in that thing. So I'll just leave leave that one smoldering on the side of the road where it is. So with that, I'm going to move into a particular person. And, and again, I want to make a big disclaimer here. I would never normally call out anybody in the alternative space. I just wouldn't. Whether it's Tim Poole, Russell Brand, the guy over at X22, you know, some of those folks shows I like their stuff, other stuff not so much. It's a free country. You do you. But what I'm about to cover is a completely separate matter. Because when it comes to Millie Weaver, also known as Millennial Millie, there's a lot going on there. Ooh. Now, in my opinion, she's she's a, pra- a paid resource. Yep. Uh, by I don't know who, and who I have no idea. But she is what I would call a high profile brand, and by that I mean people who are out there that you bring them in when you need a face for a particular movement. In fact, what's funny is somebody recently did an article, maybe two years or so ago, about. Oh, she's the very thin conservative woman commentator on Fox News. She's known for her outlandish statements. Even Fox has had to smack her on the hand a few times for some things she's done. Um, that particular person, I'm not talking about uh, Millie Weaver. I'm talking about somebody else. But the I can't think of her name at the moment. But it, it's it's been brought to light that she's not a conservative. She never was. She was a hardcore liberal in college, but she saw money to be made by sounding like a conservative. And, you know, she's on TV. So when it comes to Millie, she's an Internet influencer. Uh, She's a former model and uh, originally out of California and is often seen circulating in conservative circles. She used to work for Alex Jones at Infowars. She was one of his reporters. And after a time working there, she was suddenly gone. Yep. There was a lot of static about about why that was. She's on Twitter. She's on YouTube, Instagram. She has her own website. Her content is rebroadcast on BitChute. She has a subscribe star presence to raise money. There's even a page about her on Wikispooks, which is a wiki page for folks involved in intelligence or government circles, which I found. Hmm. She has a following on YouTube of half a million viewers. And my question is, are those real? Yeah. Are those bots? Who knows? Then the big one. And yeah, this is a little personal. I'm speaking on behalf of E and CJ for this. How the hell is she still on YouTube? And I'm dead serious. The algorithms have beaten us down at Rogue and others to to put us into a corner. We got frank over, quite frankly, where 
he does part of his show on YouTube and then moves over to DLive or other channels or, or quite frankly TV to do the rest of his content because he doesn't want to lose at least the ability to market some things on YouTube. We have people like the amazing Polly, Polly St. George up there in Canada and others who are gone for life. Yet Millie is still there and she's on the air and she sounds conservative and grassroots and libertarian and mom and apple pie. How is it she's still on the air for saying things that got all the rest of us kicked off YouTube? Was it because she did it better? Or she said it in a, in a, in a less confrontational way? Yes, notwithstanding. I don't know. There was a well-known arrest with her about two years ago in Cleveland with her mother-in-law. And I, I did read the police report. And she could have gotten a spot on Jerry Springer based on how that police report <laughs> Now, around the time of her arrest, like right at the time of her arrest, she had a documentary that was coming out called Shadowgate, which discussed a number of things about the intelligence community, uh, accusations about what really happened to Seth Rich, among other things, covered a lot about John Brennan and the various goings on with John Brennan. Now, I don't want to be indelicate when I say this, but I've said this before. It's like a lot of industries that are out there. If you're in that industry, you know stuff that to you is just Monday. But to the average person, is like, well, holy God, I, I, I never knew that. I, that's something that was on there. So as I've often said, if you know which bars to go to in Washington, D.C., which nights to be there, which places to be, or which occasional fringe book or two to read, you're going to pick up stuff that the average person would tell you that you're a conspiracy theorist. You've got to stop taking all those drugs. Um, the Shadowgate thing got a lot of coverage. And yeah. the documentary, to me, sounded true and accurate. It felt true and accurate. With a scorecard, that whole entire thing. And then General uh, McInerney, uh, yes. the Air Force general, who is right now, to me, very suspect and suspicious that he's out there shooting his mouth off and uh, nobody's taking him down. Well, and in the end, folks, it got a lot of coverage. Yep. And it felt true. It felt accurate, which is why I think the entire thing was misinformation. And either that or George just crossfire between battling elites in D.C., but all of whom are really on the same side when it comes to money. The other thing is, is during that whole arrest thing, a GoFundMe uh, was set up around the time of that to help her with her legal problems, which raised about $200,000. Now, I smell set up, but that's just me. I will also say she's the only source I know of who covered the recruitment of middle school kids and high school kids by activist organizations for the literal reason that if activists are under 18, arrest is, is much less likely when it comes to political protesting. Now, this was the yeah. thing about the Sunrise Movement. Now, that movement will claim uh, they leverage the next generation of activists to support the environment and green policies. If you dig into them more deeply, you'll find out how they use kids uh, in the way that they do uh, my other personal takeaway about that whole nonsense was is that the Sunrise Movement, among others, have been trained by paramilitary groups in Virginia or paramilitary training groups in Virginia who are on contract with Homeland Security. Uh, let me say that a little differently. You've got a whole bunch of security groups out there that they train feds. They train local law enforcement. They train others. And they're all ex-military, all, all, ex all ex-government. Well, a couple of these groups have been training the Sunrise Movement people while they're under, under contract with Homeland Security, and nobody can get to the bottom of what the hell's going on with that. But that's, that's a completely other matter. So is the content that she covers at times true? Was it covered by others in the alternative space? Well, when it came to the Sunrise Movement and related, not really, not that specific group at least. So in my paranoid universe, was that done just to build her brand, give her reputational value in conservative movements? I know what Mike Moore, true pundit, would say. 
So what are the facts? There are statements on the internet, pause, let's be careful with that because we all know it can be disinformation, that she's targeted a number of men in her personal life, including potentially her current husband. And this is where the arrest uh, back in 2020 comes in. Was this about her documentary being released and people trying to stop it? Was it a complete setup to promote her work? Uh, also was her mother-in-law getting more detail on what her prior life had been and was, was concerned about her son. Who the heck knows? She was in DC during the January 6th stuff. She attended rallies. Uh, she gave speeches. Her photos were all over the net. Uh, then that night she broadcast live from her her hotel because law enforcement wasn't letting any, uh, protesters out of the, uh, out of the hotel. To my knowledge, she's never been picked up by law enforcement for her political stuff. She's never been sitting in a jail in DC. Although yes, to some of you out there that have had this con, uh, what do you call this conversation ad nauseum on discord? Uh, we know the federal inmate system is a bit suspect. Um, there are photos of her out there sitting next to Roger Stone at political gatherings. I've seen her arm in arm with Rudy Giuliani. Um, in her past, she was a paid marketing resource or model. Um, she was once the CIO of a modeling organization called the Hollywood Girls Club. Uh, she and her lady friends from that company were paid to appear at various openings and high-profile events uh, as, you know, attractive women. That is a thing. If you've ever been to the Detroit Auto Show, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, since the fall of 2020, she and her husband are marketing a device called called Quicks or, or uh, Cooks. It's Q-U-X via a crowdfunding site with her husband. Uh, nobody in the IT industry seems to know what the hell this device does. She and her husband say it protects your devices from monitoring or censure on the internet. Uh, sure. seems to know. <laughs> now, when I view comments on websites with a conservative patriotic focus, if the topic of her comes up at all, people will speak passionately about the need that she needs to be protected and defended and that the deep state is behind her problems and the list goes on. And it's like a dog whistle to me on the internet. They've planted someone in front of you. They want to draw your sympathy and folks jump for it. And like a lot of things in our world, have you researched her, what she does, who she's involved with? Because blind faith, especially now is more dangerous than ever. Yeah. So she's a paid influencer resource in my opinion she may even fit Mike Moore's definition of a professional grifter. Who knows? I've been keeping an eye on her for some time. And again, like I was alluding to, she seems to float in and out of situations with no arrest, no issues. She always appears to be in the right place at the right time. All she needs is an FBI wristwatch, like all the guys, guys with the placards on January 6th. Mm. So as always, verify and caveat, uh, caveat mTOR. And that is what I had for Wednesday. 23rd, and I will be back on Friday where we will cover a bit about Donald Trump. And then um, Matthew Errett's wife had a mind blowing piece in her article, uh, Trotskyism to Radical Positivism. Is that posted uh, already on the Saker? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, she had she had some stuff in there. In fact, I'll, I'll give you some of this right now. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a fl- <laughs> I'm I'm flat out stealing this, folks, because uh, it was very good. Uh, Cynthia Chung's piece. Uh, it, it either came out on February 18th or 19th. Um, she quotes Bertrand Russell in his Scientific Outlook paper in 1931. Said the scientific rulers will provide one kind of education for ordinary men and women, and another for 
those who are to become holders of scientific power. Ordinary men and women will be expected to be docile, industrious, Mm -hmm. punctual, thoughtless, and contented. Of these qualities, probably contented will be considered the most important. In order to produce this, all the researchers of psychoanalysis, behavioralism, and biochemistry will be brought into play. All the boys and girls will learn from an early age to be called cooperative, to do exactly what everybody else is doing. Initiative will be discouraged in these children. Insubordination without being punished will be scientifically trained out of them. Russell in 1951 expanded on that by saying, it may be hoped that in time, anybody will be able to persuade anybody of anything if he can catch the patient young and is provided by the state with money and equipment. The subject will make great strides when it is taken up by scientists under a scientific dictatorship. Anagoras maintained that snow is black, but no one believed him. The social psychologists of the future will have a number of classes of school children on whom they will try different methods of producing an unshakable conviction that snow is black. Various results will soon be arrived at. First, that the influence of home is obstructive. Second, that not much can be done unless indoctrination begins before the age of 10. Third, that verses set to music and repeatedly intoned, kind of like apps on a cell phone, folks, are very effective. Fourth, that the opinion that snow is white must be held to show a morbid taste for eccentricity. It is for future scientists to make these maxims precise and discover how much it costs per head to make children believe snow is black and how much less it would cost to make them believe it is dark gray. Now, I know that's a lot that's very esoteric, but the thing about that that just leaps off the page to me is, is that, that the first quote I gave you was 1931. The other one was 1950. And people like this were talking about how do you manipulate the public? How do you make them look at facts and interpret those facts the way you want? That's very powerful right there, man. And and this is this is happening at this point right now. When you look at this this mass psychosis, when you look at how they're conditioning the words and trying to make people um in a neurolinguistic way through programming trying to see a narrative that they themselves are concocting and creating for themselves. Case in point, look at what's happening. While all this mess is happening in Ukraine, the media is literally out there saying, all that we need <laughs> is give war a chance. What if we held a war? What they're saying, give what war we- a chance. What if we held a war and no one came? What if we held a war and no one came? What a disappointment that would be. That well, and I've, be got a, I've got an amusing Ukraine factoid here for you. Yeah. Um, Ukraine's arms industry produced 50 of the military truck known as a KRAZ-6322 that were contracted by the Iraqi military. Yeah. And who paid for the trucks? was the United States. Right. Which begs several questions. Ukraine or Iraq is a uh, oil producer. I'm I'm pretty sure they've got some cash lying around to buy military equipment. So why did the uni- United States intercede and uh order these trucks from Ukraine? Russia makes the same truck. Um and what other Ukrainian arms is the United States buying? 
which mm. would, would go right out the window if perhaps some of those manufacturing plants are in some of the, the newly, <laughs> newly minted Russian Republic. Also yeah. in 2020, Ukraine and Iraq signed a military cooperation agreement, including military training and cooperation. Again, begging the question, why was, not, why was Russia not involved? Now, I understand Ukraine is an independent country. I get all that. I'm just saying, if you're, if you're cutting military arms deals with Ukraine, and Russia makes a lot of money off of arms deals, there's, I, I, I did a whole paper on that a couple of times, both in undergrad and graduate school. Um, there's a lot of money in that industry, and it's France and the United States and Russia and a handful of other, other players like Brazil uh, and Argentina who also produce uh, a considerable amount of armaments in the world. But I don't know. Just my gut says if you're doing business with the Ukrainians to buy arms, you at least need to buy something from Russia just, just to not torque off the Russians. Yeah. And it certainly has the look and feel of somebody trying to torque off the Russians. <laughs> Oh my God, we we have absolute morons that work on our side, man. Absolute morons. It's ridiculous. Or as I said on last week's show, buffoons. We have complete and total buffoons. Yeah, we, <laughs> no, we really do. We have complete and total buffoons. It's it, it's incredible, man. It's and CJ, totally you've been lighting up the airwaves this week on on uh, your Ukrainian coverage. Yeah, it's it's just very interesting, um, you know. Indeed, and and you know, again, everyone's going to speculate quite a bit, but. I'm just I'm sure that Putin has quite a bit just like in his 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 war chest his strategy and 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 he's got to look at this long term as well like you know as far as Ukraine goes and and you know V I think you said it earlier does he just you know basically purge out you know the west out of Ukraine and and, and be done with it versus deal with this issue for the next 15 25 50 years if it doesn't get resolved now and, right. and I'm sure he's thinking about that too in terms of okay well I can't be I can't be president forever of of of, of Russia. So do yeah, I want to getting old. Mess? Do he's I want to leave this mess? Yeah. Do I want to leave this mess for someone else right. to deal with this? And so yeah, I mean I, I think that option is is on the table and just seeing how how psycho that you know and, and we're not and we're not gonna back down. I think we're gonna double down on on the efforts there. Uh so it's I don't think I think it's far from over. Yeah, remember what we said a long time ago, America's willing to fight Russia down to the last Ukrainian. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, that's like the old the old joke during World War II, which which my mom told me about, which was she said that people people used to talk openly during World War II about there will always be an England, no matter how many American lives it takes. Absolutely, there will always be. Get, that's get what other it is. people to fight your wars, folks. I, that's exactly what it is. It's it, it's it's level the battlefield for the City of London Corporation, which is the Borg behind all of this. I mean, Wall Street's nothing but the JV partner when it comes to the city of London. Wall Street's offshoring capability is nowhere near that of the city of London corporation. We don't have those tax havens. We don't have any of that. It's not even, it's not even on the same ballpark. It's, it's, it's a whole different league, man. Well, and that's, that's a whole show in and of itself, V, and oh, that's more, more your area than mine is, is, folks, everything that started going down in banking in the 1950s, the shift of money out of British banks at the end of World War II to American banks. Britain took a, and, you know, let's just go with, uh, uh, what do you call it? Let's just go with uh, the easy one, which is um, the London Corporation and its, and its influencers, they, uh, they made sure that a lot of these havens were set up, you know, the Cayman Islands and uh, a lot of these other places. And of course, 
you know, other people saw the writing on the wall and said, hey, that sounds good. And so after that, you got Cyprus. Um, you've got a couple of other spots there in the, in the Mediterranean. Uh, I know a lot of people would say, well, you know, Italy's banks are about as porous as cheese. And it's like, well, that's, that's right. But if you really want to get your shine on, you move money through, through Cypriot banks uh, or through, through Algeria or through even uh, Albania. Uh, has been Let's not forget Latvia. That's yes. how, uh, you know, that, that's how the big guy gets his 10%. Well, and, and uh, Ukraine. I mean, I know Gus was alluding to it. I said it on several shows. And, and again, I'm not being disingenuous towards the Ukrainian people because that's an incredibly hot topic, given the fact that I'm also ethnically Russian, among other things. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I mean, we, st- we still stand separate from, from one another at my Orthodox church. That's, that's how hot <laughs> this topic is. And it has nothing to do with current events. That's, that's an old, old problem between yeah. we fellow Slavic people, no different than Portugal and Spain. I mean, it's like when people make the comment about, well, Ukrainians are Slavic people. They're, they're basically Russians. And it's like, you, you would almost want to boil that down and just say fellow fellow Slavic people. You don't want to tell the Portuguese, you're really Spaniards, stop speaking that weird language of yours. Yeah. But Ukraine for many years, unfortunately, was taken advantage of and has been turned I mean, into it, it, an it, organized it, it, crime outfit, basically. And, and in many respects, Taiwan has too. Yeah, Part it, of it's that a was composite country. It's a composite country. I mean, Ukraine's history, it, it, you, you've had, uh, I mean, we, we, we joke about how many times the Poles got taken over, right? Right. That, that pales in comparison to <laughs> to Ukraine, who were taken over by the Lithuanians, the Polish, the the Romanians, the Czechoslovakians. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Well, on the Russian the Russian national anthem, um, even during the time of the Soviet Union, made reference to what they called the Lithuanian horde, and it was funny because one of my classmates, when our our language teacher was explaining this to us, was looking at a map and he goes. Little tiny Lithuania, and, and the professor flipped the, the, the maps over a couple of times, and he goes, "Here's Lithuania in the 1500s." And my classmate was like, "Oh shit!" And it's yeah, like, man. "Yeah, the, the Lithuanians were encroaching on Warsaw." I mean, yep. There's a lot of history, folks. There's a lot of history. This is like the Serbians and what's known as the Fields of Kosovo Poye, where where uh, the Serbian king and his ministers rode out to oppose the Ottoman Turks, and and he and all of his his senior leaders were all killed. Uh, it was it was a great uh, uh, source of pain for for the Serbians for years because it, it annihilated them as a country until the early 1900s and the events of World War One. So we can't, as I don't want to just say as Americans, but a lot of folks in the West, we're not as connected to our ethnic background unless you know you go to ethnic events or things like that. But for a lot of people in Europe, I mean this this stuff was yesterday, and uh, Ukraine is a is a hard one. Uh, I, I know that from my own relatives. I mean, Ukraine was the bed, breadbasket of Europe until Stalin rolled in. Now, I know Matthew Eric may have some disagreements with me on that. and We can take that offline. But, uh, you know, the imperial Russian government, we were the ones that came up with winter wheat, the type of wheat that was genetic, genetically engineered in a way that you could plant it during cold, wet, fall periods of time. And it would, it would sprout at the, at the best possible moment in the spring. But all of that food was being produced in Ukraine. And of course, one of the other things that went south, everybody, at the end of World War I was with the fall of the imperial government and Russia going into, into an absolute basket case, was that the region of Ukraine was not producing the kind of food it did. And then with the Holodomor, 
when they started cracking down on anybody that that was a large landowner and basically starving them to death, all of that food was lost for Europe, which then contributed to the events of 1918, 1919 and beyond with, with various uh, influenza outbreaks and similar. I mean, it's, it's straight out of the Bible. It's like, here comes war, then followed by pestilence, you know, and it was, it was the same thing. So coming full circle, you know, with these, these banks, um, that all got set in motion in the fifties. Uh, I've got both Greek friends and Turkish friends who I speak to at completely different occasions, um, who ironically are united on their, on their mutual view that what went down in Cyprus where the country got split in half was entirely at the designs of, of finance and private equity people. I don't want to use the 1920s lingo of industrialists, but I mean, really powerful people with a lot of money. They saw even more money to be made by chopping up Cyprus. And so you had the Turkish invasion in the, in the seventies or the eighties. I forget exactly when it went, it, it took place, but you know, and even Albania, Albania has become another one of these hotspots where, where Russian organized crime is walking down the street right next to, Ch- you know, Chinese commodities buyers. Nobody, everybody knows who everybody is, but nobody bothers anybody because it'd be bad for business. Correct. But, a lot to cover. So I'm very thankful again, as always, to, to V and CJ for, for giving me a little bit more airtime here. And, and during my hiatus of, of uh, my professional work, which right now is on hold for a month or two, um, I'm going to do a little bit more here in the way of content. In fact, as I was telling V last night, uh, I've come across some work by Michael Rechtenwald, uh, who is a former professor of Duke and uh, Case Western and Carnegie Mellon and so on. He recently gave a talk at Hillsdale College up in uh, Michigan about the Great Reset. And some of his content, no harm, no foul, you know, as I said at the opening of the show, I, I disagree with, with some of his conclusions and that's fine. And we're all friends here. But a lot of his other stuff is really, really, really good and uh, was a real head scratcher for me last night. So I'm going to do a show on his work next next week. Nice. So and and V's kind enough to keep sending me coffee. So, <laughs> absolutely, man, absolutely. We're at the top of the hour, folks. Uh, have a good rest of your week. I'll see you all on Friday. Absolutely. See you back on Friday, folks. Keep it locked over here. Again, if you miss this broadcast, go to roguenews.com. Roguenews.com. That is the central focus point of all things geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic. And folks, I'm gonna kind of put it out there right now, so you guys know we have and we have launched off. The um, let me see, uh, access, uh, yes, yeah, stand united with V. If you probably see this also on your, um, you know, we have exclusive content. We're going to be launching a subscriber thing very soon on Rogue News. It's going to give you not only exclusive content, uncensored, authentic insights, it's going to be invite only roundtable discussions, it's going to be ad free, full of archive. You get the full archive, all the content on demand, all of it. But also for signing up, the perk is you're going to get 30 minutes one-on-one with yours truly, the gorilla in The Economist, the optimist primate himself. So uh, if you ever wanted to talk to me and get the play-by-play, get some strategic coaching done so you are well-situated for what is to come and make sure you got your ducks in a row, well, you'll be able to do that. And it's going to be pretty awesome. The price is going to be fantastic. It's going to be very affordable. So it's our way of reaching out. So that's going to be launching soon. Uh, very soon, so make sure you keep it locked here. Roguenews.com. And, Vela's, thank you for joining in. And uh, we'll be back on Friday, folks. With that being said, we're over and out.